0: Good morning everyone. So let me begin with a story. I'll take you back a few years to a holiday in Spain. We were in the square of a little village called Suthena, waiting on our evening meal. And with two small children in tow who were incapable of sitting still for longer than about one minute, I had decided to venture into the local church to let them see inside. This would turn out to be a major mum feel. I should have just left them wondering. A few members of the church were up at the front setting up for a special event, but at this point inside was perfectly quiet, bar a few other tourists who were clearly enjoying the peace and tranquility. So far, all was well. However, Matthew had, who had only learned to speak a few months before, picked up on the wonderful acoustics provided by those ultra high ceilings. And before I could interject, took the opportunity to shout ECHO at the top of his voice. By the time I got the three of us out again, I could still hear his high-pitched Northern Irish accent reverberating off every wall and later, when the entirety of the church turned out into the square for a special parade, it wasn't difficult to spot the small red-headed culprit. As humans, we have a complex relationship with silence. Silence can be that sweet relief at the end of a long day full of mummies. It can be beautiful, peaceful and welcome. It can also be awkward, disconcerting, frightening and perhaps at its worst overwhelmingly painful. Last week we focused on Good Friday and today we turn to Easter Saturday. In asking the question of what the Bible says about this day, the answer is not very much. The only event recorded on Easter Saturday is found in Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66, when the chief priests and the Pharisees approached Pilate saying, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Here are the chief priests and Pharisees asking for the tomb to be guarded, for fear of what the disciples could do. And yet in reality, the disciples have fled in fear following the arrest of Jesus and are hiding with the doors locked. Easter Saturday was observed as the Sabbath, the day of rest. And yet I imagine for the disciples, it was a day of turmoil, confusion, grief and loss, coming to terms with the murder of Jesus, the betrayal of Judas and the unbearable thought that they had got it all wrong. Perhaps that day it felt like God was silent and yet it could be argued that this was not the disciples first experience of the silence of God. The Jews were well acquainted with silence. We need only to look back, To Egypt where they cried out for 430 years before God spoke and declared he had heard their cries and seen their suffering. To the story of Esther where God's name is not mentioned, no scripture is cited and no one even prays. To the Psalms of Lament in which David cries to a God who hides his face and seems to stand far off. To the 400 years of silence between the final words of Malachi in the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus when the word became flesh. Perhaps that's what made the weight of silence on this day, Easter Saturday, so unbearable. In Jesus, they had hoped the silence had been broken, that the Messiah had come, but now their hopes lay crushed as Jesus lay dead in the grave. I'm sure for many of us, there have been seasons where we've experienced similar emotions to what the disciples felt on this day. Loneliness, despair, grief, Confusion, betrayal, overwhelming disappointment. That moment of lifting our eyes to the heavens and asking, God, what on earth is going on? This is part of our experience of being human and perhaps you too feel well acquainted with silence. Pete Gregg writes two brilliant chapters in his book, God on Mute, that unpack the significance of Easter Saturday far more than we have time to do so this morning. But there are two important points that he makes that I would love us to consider. The Bible leaves us in no doubt that when God is silent, he is not absent from his people, even if that's the way it feels. God was not absent from the nation of Israel in their slavery in Egypt. He heard their cries and delivered them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. God was not absent in Esther's story, and his sovereignty is undeniable even though his name is not mentioned once God was not absent to King David who, in the same breath could ask how long will you hide your face from me then declare but I trust in your unfailing love the second point Greg makes is that this experience of God's silence is not one to be rushed over as if it has no value in the Christian life because it can shape in us discipline and desire I know for me in those seasons where I've encountered the apparent silence of God, I have held tightly to that promise that God is not absent. I am not alone and I have reminded myself that he has shown himself faithful in the past and that he can be trusted even if I have no idea what is going on in the here and now. It doesn't make the experience any less disconcerting, painful or confusing. But rather than run away from that, I've tried to lean in I started reading a book the other day called The Choice by a lady called Edith Eger, a Holocaust survivor who became a clinical psychologist. I'm on page eight and already it's one of the best books I've read. In reflecting on the suffering that she endured, she writes about how it took her decades to stop asking the question of why me and start asking the question of what now? Not why did I survive and others didn't, But what will I do with the life I have been given? What now? Perhaps that was a question that faced the disciples in the midst of this apparent silence. What now? I'd love to focus our attention on a passage in Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 35, the road to Emmaus. It may seem strange this morning to focus on an event that happened after the resurrection when we're grappling with and reflecting on easter saturday this day of profound silence but i think the experience of the disciples on the road to emmaus gives us some helpful insight luke has just told us it is the sunday after jesus's resurrection and that mary magdalene joanna Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them have discovered the empty tomb and encountered two angels who declare Christ is risen. The apostles have not believed the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. But Peter isn't so sure. We discover two disciples, Cleopas and his unnamed companion, on the road to Emmaus, walking away from Jerusalem deep in conversation about all that has happened. Verses 15 to 16 tell us that as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, or as the message describes, they stood there long faced, like they had lost their best friend. And Cleopas answered, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened? The disciples must have been aghast, incredulous. How could this stranger on the road to Emmaus not know? How could he not know that Jesus, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, had been handed over to Pilate by the chief priest, sentenced to death, and crucified? Perhaps in their eyes, this stranger did not know the grief, the disappointment, the bitter loss that the last few days had dealt them. They had lost their friend, but they had also lost the one, the one they had hoped for and longed for and waited for, the Messiah. In verse 21, they explain, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Grief, disappointment, loss, not just of a person, but of redemption, not just of redemption for them, but for the nation of Israel. I reflect on this passage of scripture this morning because I think these disciples, along with the others, knew what it felt like to perhaps walk deep in conversation with each other, but experience the perceived silence of God. We had hoped. Perhaps Good Friday signaled a return to the silence, they had journeyed for so long and knew all too well. However, the disciples go on to tell this stranger about the amazing encounter the women have just had at the empty tomb. Angels declaring that Christ is alive. They explain, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They did not see they did not see that hope was very much still alive and walking down the road with them present in their perceived silence at this the stranger rebukes them how foolish ye are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself as they approached the village the stranger who we know is jesus acted as if he was going further on but they strongly urged him to stay with them jesus obliged and when he was at the table he took bread gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them In this simple and yet profound mirroring of the Last Supper, verse 31 tells us, then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, but Jesus disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So these two disciples, who until now have been walking in the opposite direction of Jerusalem, got up and despite the fact it was obviously late into the evening and making what would have been a long and difficult journey returned at once. In Jerusalem they found the eleven and those with them and they overheard them saying it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon and they went on to share their testimony of what had happened on the road to Emmaus. These two disciples who had perhaps given up hope who did not see But when this stranger opened the scriptures, the fire of their faith that had died out on Golgotha came back to life and burned with that familiar hope. Their eyes were opened at the breaking of bread and they did see. Christ was with them. He was alive. The silence was broken. There are a few things that I've been reflecting on as I consider this story. Firstly, these disciples didn't hide their emotions, their loss or their confusion. They talked openly, they shared, they discussed, they wrestled with the situation. A helpful example for how we might handle those difficult and challenging moments in our lives. John Swinton talks about how the suffering of this world needs to be absorbed. That is part of our responsibility as the church. And my picture of these two disciples on the Emmaus Road is that they helped absorb each other's suffering. I also love that even though they were carrying grief, loss and disappointment, how they were feeling didn't prevent them from offering hospitality, from doing what they knew to be right in honouring another traveller and making space at their table. There's been times where suffering or pain has rendered me almost immobile. But in this story, I am encouraged and reminded of the power and beauty in the simple acts of honouring God and others, and how those can help bring us back to life again. In this passage, Jesus opened the scriptures, and then at the breaking of bread, he opened the disciples' eyes. Bloom says, when God ordains things to happen contrary to our expectations, those are times when we are tempted to doubt his word to lose faith and as a result, lose sight of him. But not being able to see him doesn't mean that he isn't there walking with us. We may not recognize him. Those are not the times to neglect the word. Rather, those are the times to spend looking. That is where you will begin to recover your sight. Finally, I thought about how when we truly encounter Jesus, there is an exchange that happens. For these two weary disciples, the walk to Emmaus was exchanged for a run to Jerusalem. Their grief was turned to joy, their sadness to burning hearts. A conversation about what had been and what had happened was exchanged for a testimony of having seen the risen Lord. The tellers of a sad story became the sharers of the good news. Those are the sort of exchanges possible in the kingdom of God. As we finish this morning, there are a few things that reflecting on Easter Saturday has helped me to consider. Firstly, to be prepared to walk in the silence. To wrestle with the doubt, the grief, the loss, whatever that might look like, much like the Emmaus disciples did as they trudged along that road to open the scriptures and ask the question of what now? In light of all that we might be facing or experiencing, what would the Lord ask of us? If our experience is one of absence or distance, what has he already spoken that we need to act on, trust in, or choose to follow? For us as the church and the body of Christ, If we are to be Christ to a hurting world, I think we need to ask the question of how do we faithfully walk alongside others in a way that absorbs their suffering? How do we help others to encounter Jesus in such a way that their hearts too will burn within them, their eyes will be opened, and perhaps the silence that they experience will be broken, just as it was on the road to a mess. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are sovereign and you are faithful and you are not absent. Thank you that we can cry out to you in the moments of silence and declare that your love is steadfast and unfailing. Help us to follow after you, even when it feels that we walk a long and difficult road, and to keep returning to your word, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Help us to walk alongside others and to absorb the suffering of this broken world thank you this morning that even though you were laid down in grief death could not hold you and you were raised to life again thank you that you are the king of kings and the lord of lords amen